Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Intersection, a podcast that takes a real look at how race and relationships intersect. Join us as we look at how we can set our eyes on the life of Christ as a source of compassion for each of our relationships. Our hosts include Pastor Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Bishop Joey Johnson, Senior Pastor at the House of the Lord, and Pastor Coach Kemp Boyd, Pastor and Executive Director for Love Akron. Keep listening as we cross paths on today's episode of The Intersection. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to the very first episode of The Intersection Podcast for 2024. And as usual, I am, man, I have the opportunity to serve and to be flanked by Bishop Joey Johnson, Pastor Jeff Bogue, and Dr. Daniel Hawk. Good and happy new year, everyone. How, how's everything going? So far, two days in, pretty good. <laughs> there we go. Hey, success. That's what That's we right. want. We have That's right. high expectations. So mm-hmm. everything is going really well, really good. And so excited to be with you all again. Again, we're here on the intersection where we believe that Jesus intersects in all aspects of our life. But also, we're here to discuss how we can intersect with each other a little bit better as the Big C Church um, as we continue to move forward Move forward and do the reconciling work of Jesus Christ here on earth. So today is a very special episode to where we're going to talk about and discuss a little bit of Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, We know that his day is coming up here on January the 15th, and we wanted to take a time and just kind of use one of these episodes just to kind of talk about him, how he intersected, and how he brought in the gospel to his work. And the work that continues on today. And so I'm really excited to be able to do that. And as we do that, let's let's just show a video. There's something that came out last year that was entitled Share the Dream Bible Study. And it was based on Dr. King's kind of six principles that he really believed in um, and thought about. So we're going to watch just a short clip of that now. And then we're going to get into our discussion. Welcome to Share the Dream, a video study series based on the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Throughout this video series, we will be looking at principles based on the life and teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that are rooted in six qualities. It is a reciprocal love. We love because we are loved. It was pretty clear that if he gave his life, he wanted it to be for ordinary people. I look at him and I think, I must dare to be great. Faith and love go hand in hand. So what are you going to do? He still had this prevailing spirit of optimism. When you find what it is that God wants you to give your life for, then you have a meaningful life. I have a dream that one day This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream. As we look at some of that, I want to lean into some discussions first as we look at those six qualities. some that we've talked about at length here, even on this podcast. Um, 
just want to kind of go around, first of all, to start with saying, when you think about Dr. King, the work that was done, do you see that work continuing now in the six qualities that was mentioned in the video? And I'm going to throw that out there to anybody who wants to jump in first. I'll start. I think that um, one of the things that kind of bothers me about when we, when we start to talk about Dr. King is that his iconic I Have a Dream speech is the, the basically the only thing that most people know. Um, they've heard it over and over. It's a, it's uh, been, uh, you know, soundbited and whatever else and, and played and streamed. And so that's it's like that's the only thing he ever said. And so one one year I just went back and just started to do some reading. I read about 3000 pages of uh, material on King because there is lots that he did and said beyond the I have a dream speech. And uh, one of his big uh, things was the beloved community. And so in, in the beloved community, we start to see some of those characteristics come out, which are very important, um, very powerful. Uh, he lived them out. Uh, we should talk also about the, the underside of those people who, uh, what the FBI did and all those other kind of things um, that kind of tarnish what he was about and what he did. But in the final analysis, um, he, he, God used him, I think, in a way to highlight justice as he's not used anybody else um, in his time. And so uh, I think there's a lot to talk about, a lot to try to touch on. But I think it's, uh, do I see it going on today? I think people have lost. I don't think we even know who Dr. King is, the newer generation. And so this is a great time to kind of reintroduce, talk about all of that. Thank you, Bishop. Pastor Jeff, Dr. Hawk. Well, one of the things I was I was struck with and am struck with is the power of Dr. King um, drawing forth on that Christian uh, element of hope. I mean, so and that comes directly from, I, I think, the Christian tradition in the midst of, of a darkness, in the midst of turbulence and chaos and injustice, there is a hope. We Christians are are the people who believe, who are oriented toward hope, and and um, I, I I raise that just as as a, a prominent part of Dr. King's message that that really affects me, and then I think about our contemporary our our situation where it seems like hope has been lost for so many. Uh, and you know that that you know, people people aren't oriented anymore by that noble vision uh, of of uh, seeing where God is at work to bring justice. I mean, so many people just uh, just to seem to have lost hope, hope in the dream, hope in the United States, hope in the church, uh, hope in their own situation. So I'm I'm that's that's the first thing that, that strikes me is is uh, how how do we recover hope how do we raise that as as an orienting vision again? Yeah, I think about when I think about your question, Kemp, of like, do I see that work alive today? <laughs> um, I do see that work alive today. I think it's incomplete, um, and I, I don't. I don't think anybody would really 
disagree with that statement. I, I also, though, look back when I think about where, so so to say, where things started with Dr. King and where we are today, where we we started with police dogs and a refusal to integrate schools and fire hoses and rampant bigotry and hatred, lack of integration, and then you move that forward to today, you see a change, you see victories, you see not not all complete, obviously, uh, but you see some powerful things. I think you also see uh, a generational shift of, of young people that would think differently. If, if a young person would have been open and free with racism and communicating that, you know, 60 years ago, that young person would be shamed and ostracized and corrected if they spoke in those same ways today. And they would be that from their own generation, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what they would look at. So I, I, I see an impact. I see a difference. Um, I, I really uh, agree with uh, Dr. Hawk about the idea of hope. And then you still see the injustices you still see the the lack of freedom. You still see the, a lack of love. It's 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 not um, Dr. King's work. In some ways, is never going to be complete because the human heart is always wicked. And so, when I when I think about him, and I think about the power of how God used him, um, one of the th- there's a bunch. Like we we're going to talk for a while, and we could talk for years, you know, um, but one of the things that jumps to my mind is that he was a prophetic voice that called us to biblical truth and to a higher way of loving and living. Um, And that prophetic voice is in some ways missing, you know, in our culture today. And I think that's what we feel sometimes you're not going to find it in politics. Um, the church has a different standing than it used to if if people will ever even use their voice uh, that they might or might not have in the church. Um, and so there's a, I know Dr. King was not sinless. Uh, he is not Jesus, uh, but he called us to something higher and he did it with a motive that was, that had a purity to it. And he ultimately gave his life for what he believed in. And so that that stature is why we remember him and celebrate his teaching. And it's probably in some ways the void that we, we Mm -hmm. feel in our, in our culture, which is uh, it it doesn't erase or eradicate his dream, but it probably doesn't have the momentum, so to say that it would have, if there was another one, another person that would carry that forward. So, so I, his impact is clear and his, his calling was, clear and correct and we're not there yet you know and and there's some tangible powerful things that we can do to continue to to love and bring justice and bring freedom and then there's just the especially in a ministry circle there's the ongoing deceptiveness and deceit and wickedness of the human heart that has to be addressed again and again and again through some of these contexts that he was talking about. I like um, both uh, of what both of you are saying and a, a key word kind of jumped out to me and both of you, Dr. Hawk said Christian, um, Pastor Jeff said prophetic. 
Um, one of the things that I think is often missed is that Dr. King became such a national voice that it gets overlooked yeah. that he was a black Baptist preacher, that mm -hmm. we lose the context of where he came from and what were the foundations out of which some of the things that he spoke, uh, where they came from. And as they grew and he became a national voice and whatever, it became more political, more cultural, more, more of other things. But the foundation was always from a Christian perspective, from a, from a biblical, um, black biblical perspective of hope and love and charity. Um, Nonviolence, I think, is something that we really uh, need to talk about because I think we live in such a violent society okay. and we have Christianity in a sense has become violent. And yet I don't see the Bible that way, um, even though it contains violence. So that's another whole thing. I think we also ought to talk about um, what the FBI did to him, smear campaigns, those kind of things, because sometimes we think that people who are used by God are perfect or don't have any sins right. or whatever. And if that were the case, then we could uh, stop having a broadcast casting and clear the slate and move on because we all have clay feet. We all have our issues. Um, that's just something to be noted. Yeah, we would we would lose every Sunday school lesson ever taught if the standard was sinless. <laughs> you know, David, Daniel, like on and on and on and on. And um, that's what I mean. Like Dr. King was a human being, but he was used in a powerful way. And and like the reason that I would even bring that up is to say, like, if you would let his message be discounted because of his human frailty, then that, that's literally not the way the Bible works, you know? And, and so some of that smearing, some of those accusations, um, some of it's absolutely rampantly false. And then some of it is he's a human being and, and he didn't claim to be Jesus Christ, uh, but he did proclaim a message that Jesus proclaimed and, and honoring that prophet, so to say, is maybe the way that I would say it, like we would honor uh, a King David or the Apostle Peter or others who, you know, their struggles are documented in the scripture um, is is not out of place and, and should not be, um, we shouldn't allow anything he was teaching to be discounted because of his humanity. Uh, but I, I think that's the, there's something about, and I, I'm not teasing you right now, Bishop, but you're older than I am. And so are you, Dr. Hawk, like you guys, I mean, I'm assuming you don't, you don't look like you've held up well, but the, 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 uh, uh, I don't, there's something about our, um, our culture today that you're afraid to be prophetic because you're going to be attacked on social media and all those kind of things. I, I wonder like the, how you would remember that or see that differently um, uh, on a generational level. Was, was he a voice that we're not going to see again because of those things or was what, what somebody would risk today? Is that just a, a different version of what he risked, you know, years ago? Well, I mean that's a that that's a great question, and and that raises another question for me, and I I appreciate you know uh, Bishop setting this all in context. He was a local Baptist preacher, 
And not only that, the people who embraced his vision and program of nonviolent resistance were just ordinary people, uh, but they were willing to pay the price. Uh, and nonviolent resistance against principalities and powers is 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 going to require a price. And I, I I think that's he was willing to pay that price. And I'm I'm think I think it's in his book Strength to Love, where he talks about the death threats that that uh, his family was receiving, and he, he he knew that they were they were legitimate because of all the things that had happened, the bombings and the killings and so on and so forth. And he's sitting there at his, at his kitchen table one night and he just has to decide, you know, am, am, am I going to do this? Is this, um, is this something that, that I have this, this, this strength in me to do? And, and he did. And the people who were with him, uh, they paid the price. Um, you know, at Edmund Pettus Bridge, you know, all these in all these myriad ways, many of which we'll never know. But that's my question. I mean, is uh, Pastor to your to, to you know to your comment? I mean, are we really willing to pay the price today to continue um, this this program of resistance against principalities and powers that are still well in place. White supremacy is still in intact mainly. So the work is not done. So, but it it's going to take perseverance and it's going to take uh it's 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 going to call from us a price. And I just wonder, you know, where where folks are in this uh, with regard to that question. I mean, so before before yeah. we get to that question, Dr. Ark, what I want to do right now, I, I want to define nonviolence because, and, and I say this, and I'm going to go to you, Bishop, because okay. we, man, we we've been in countless meetings together where, when when everything happened in our city, what now, almost two years ago now, in the summer with Jalen Walker, there were groups that, and I remember you specifically being in the meeting, say, hey, man. You know, this is where I'm going to sit and stand because there was a great call from the black community, right? There was a great call from the black community. There was anger, there's frustration, there was hurt, there was these things. But I remember Bishop being in this meeting, and you know, you just stood on like, hey man, like here, <laughs> as for me and my house, we're gonna stand on nonviolence. But what I what I appreciate what you did though, Bishop, is you defined what that meant. And what that looks like. So if you could just do that for us and for our audience, I think it's going to be good. And then we'll come back to your question, Dr. Hall. Uh, brother Kemp, you, you have put me in a, a bad position, brother. <laughs> I don't know how we have defined it. I, I'm going to try to define it today. But I'm going to say that the, any de definition of violence or nonviolence is very complicated mm. because it has so many facets to it. But I, I would start out by saying that I, I believe that when you start to read the text of the word of God, it's, it, it comes up very rapidly that all of the earth and the world was violent. And as you move through and you come to Jesus, you have to see that he's nonviolent. He's not responding in kind, like for like. And so I, I would, for to start out, I would define violence as a uh, intent or an act to harm somebody else. Um, that's how I'd start it. 
And then when you think about that, I don't see Jesus responding from the cross with an intent or an act to harm other people out of what's going on. But Dr. Hawk started something, so I got to touch it in and you go, he can pick it back up. The word I'm using right now and the word I'm dealing with is apathy. Mm. That America has become so apathetic, so numb to pain and not wanting to suffer and the triumphal gospel, the, the wanting to have success or whatever, that I'm not sure we know that there's any, or we're willing to pay the price, or we know that there is a price mm. because we're trying to get away from pain. And so we want to get away from pain, and that stops us from doing things where pain is involved. Man, I don't think it's been ever been this quiet. <laughs> you're thinking about that pain right i thought the video froze i was waiting for it to come back on <laughs> dr hawk you have something on your mind i saw it well you know i always i was just thinking as well i mean it apathy i mean i hear i hear folks saying um that we've you know, justifying the apathy in a way or, or explaining the apathy by saying, well, you know, we're in a post-racial society. You know, we we pretty much, you know, dealt with the, the big structural issues, you know, involving racism in the United States. And we're, we're kind of moving past that. Um, and I, I'm just wondering if you've, you've all heard the same thing or whether that plays in or, you know, what how how you respond to to those comments i mean i i don't think we're in a post racial society i i i probably i don't know if i think i would say the opposite but it, it seems like we're having more conversations about race and uh some of them healthy some of them wildly unhealthy than um I don't know if it's then ever or not, you know, but it, it's, it's certainly not a mute topic. What, what I, what I see in um, a generation younger than me. So like my children's generation is I see different races who would take offense at racism. And uh, even when I was in high school, 40 years ago, um, I heard tons of, of racial comments, racial jokes, racial insults. Um, it was common for, for the world that I lived in, for that to be a part of things. Today, if it, at least with my children, if that happened, there would be great offense and great correction taken. So to, to call someone a racist would be one of the most insulting things or strong things that you can label someone. So I don't think, I don't, I don't think we're in a post-racial society. I do think that, and this is what I was asked. I'm trying to ask a little bit, like when Dr. King made his statements or laid out the truth uh, years ago, it was often, often rejected by churches, by leaders, by communities, by a generation. Absolutely. When that same truth is spelled out today, I don't think it's universally accepted, but I think it's to a greater degree embraced 
where like my children would hear that truth and say, we actually agree with Dr. King. Who is that weird guy that wouldn't let the black kids go to high school? That's ridiculous. Like, see, so there's, there's a shift there. Uh, I know with my children, uh, I could tell you stories, uh, but I won't, but like, if they had an African-American friend who was called a racial affetat, that actually happened. Like my son hit the guy who, who, who insulted his friend. So there's a difference. There's like a, that is unjust. That is wrong. That is sinful. I'm not sure that was the case in the fifties and the sixties on a broad cultural level. But I do not believe that racial issues have gone away or that uh, they don't influence us. And and I do believe, we've talked a lot on this podcast, that, that um, you can even uncover them in yourself in, in ways that you, be, just because somebody pushed back on you or helped you to think through an issue that you didn't know was there. And we've talked a lot about, is that racism? Is that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But those conversations I think are very much alive. And like I said, some are healthy and some are wildly unhealthy, but I don't believe that we live in a post-racial society. On one of the Star Trek episodes, forgive me, a <laughs> quote was made, if, if we are to see a brave new world, our generation is probably going to have the hardest time living in it. Yeah. It is the generation, my generation, the generation of Dr. Martin Luther King, still around, that's probably still having a problem. There are uh, youth who probably grew up in situations where they they just normally interacted with folks of, of a different ethnic uh, background, and they, they take it for granted. Um, Therefore, they don't understand, they don't know the history, don't understand some of the things that are going on there. But it wouldn't be out of malice, it would be out of ignorance. But yeah, yet, we, there's okay. a whole generation of folks who are still suffering from coming through that era, coming through what went on, and still uh, unable to break out of uh, the cultural shackles that went on and what took place there. So I think that's that's very powerful. And I think when we start talking about this, we have the platform to talk about the fact that even though there would be an, any number of people who would agree with Dr. King, I don't know if they'd be willing to pay the price of pain. Yeah, I I very much agree with that. And I, and I the two things I would say, uh, one is an example. I was watching football with a uh, couple of my kids the other day the NFL and uh, both of the quarterbacks are African-American. And I don't really remember how the conversation came up, but I basically said, I remember when the first African-American quarterback played, like I'm 52. I remember when that happened on mm -hmm. a significant level, Doug Williams won the Super Bowl, all those kind of things. And my, my son looked at me, he goes, why, why? Why would why wouldn't there be any black quarterbacks? And I said, because the belief was they didn't have the intelligence to play quarterback. And my son's reaction, he, he literally goes, he goes, what? <laughs> like that, like that reaction is was not my generation's reaction. So, so my son was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, you're right. 
but that was one generation ago. Uh, the generation before me is Jackie Robinson and, and African-Americans coming in the major league sports for the first time. So for some in that third generation, Dr. King's thinking and his beliefs are their norms, which I think is a powerful thing. Now, for some, obviously it's not, but it's their norms. And that's why, because, because they don't, they don't think having a black quarterback is weird. That's actually why we're able to talk about bigger societal issues with them. You can go to like a different level now with them because, because that like level one has been, uh, I, I don't want to say it's been conquered, but it's been addressed, I guess. Right. But I'm not sure what word to use right. there. Um, th this idea of paying the price though, I see that I actually would look back to what you were saying, Joey, about, uh, being a pastor and just a pastor having the courage to say in a culture that, that hated that particular truth, Absolutely. what the truth was. Absolutely. And, and and wasn't afraid about church growth and wasn't afraid about the other pastors in the community hating his guts, et cetera. But that's the prophet in Dr. King where, yeah. where he's, this is what the book says, and yeah. I'm going to preach this from my pulpit. Yeah. I, I, want, I want Dr. Hawk to, to comment on this, but, but I think this is one of the problems when we lose history. When we don't have history, we don't have a context of what has taken place then where we perhaps where we stand seems to be justified, but it doesn't have a, a real solid base to it. I believe it was Eugene Peterson who said that sometimes uh, we, when we're discussing the Bible, we're coming to a, a, a conversation at five till 12 midnight that started at 8 a.m. in the morning and thinking that we are we are up to date. So what happens is we start having these conversations. This is why this conversation is so critical, but we don't know the history of what took place. Yeah. So we don't have a full context of all this going on. Dr. Hawk, talk, can you say something to that? Well, well, sure. I, I, I can, I can agree with it wholeheartedly. This, this idea that, uh, you know, con this historical context and, and this moment as a part of a long historical, uh, struggle, um, uh, is is uh, you know something that we need to pay attention to, uh, not only to help us to get a sense of where we you know where we have advanced in a, in in particular areas, but also to get a sense of of uh, how much remains undone that that was part of that original vision, and frankly, part of me wonders in the present social and political climate whether um it's not so much whether we've got whether it's the past is beginning to repeat itself and i'm 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 just sure. thinking about the rise in 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 violence and and hate and and uh just all of the the ways that somehow in the last 6 to 8 years or so um things that had been long suppressed in terms of attitudes there we, we just see them coming to the surface again we 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 hear people utilizing racist dog whistles to to encourage support uh, i mean my goodness we have a, a presidential candidate who was asked about the 
the uh, the cause of the Civil War and couldn't couldn't reference slavery. I mean, so you know that tells me that there's you know it's concerning. We can learn from history, but uh, and we can and we can be inspired by resistance, which I think is the key term here. To and I think that's you can't talk about a prophet without talking about resistance and 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 challenging the powers that are in play but uh, and 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 history gives us a sense of you know how that worked how that developed but it also for me just gives us a context for saying this work is not over uh and and there is a i feel a sense of urgency in this time to say this you know, resistance needs to find a way to push back, or or we're gonna we're gonna devolve into the kind of tribalism that that King, you know, really um, himself resisted, and and uh, spoke to in terms of his analysis of American culture and society. Thanks, Doctor. Hey, I wanted you, uh, Doctor uh, Hawk. I wanted you to say something. Uh, hold on, hold on one second, Bishop. Pastor Jeff, you you had a thought. I don't. I don't want you to lose that. I, I had a question, so okay. I can ask it or I can wait. Either way, you can ask it. Okay. My my question, I think, uh, for, and this is a genuine question, is in in the from the fifties to the sixties, you know, to two thousand twenty four, the the country as a whole has moved so far away from. I'll call it basic biblical values or basic information. So when Dr. King as a national leader spoke on love or equality, there was, so to say, a biblical foundation that could bring conviction to that. How do, how do you, and maybe this is you, Daniel or, or Joe, I'm not, I don't, you know, either one of you, but how do you guys think speaking that truth like like Dr. Rock, when you're talking about the tribalism and the, you know the the dog whistles on the on both sides of the political aisle, et cetera, how do you think like the shift in people's adherence to biblical truth has affected so much like even the ability to draw clarity or conviction with speaking Jesus's truth to a society now that doesn't seem like they care about it much? How is that change? I don't think there's any doubt, and I've had to share this on any number of occasions, that the that the cultural ethos in which Dr. King spoke is vastly different mm -hmm. from the cultural ethos of today. That, that we, so you you can't just walk in and use the same principles that King used and expect to get the same response mm. because it, they, it doesn't exist anymore. That cultural ethos is not there. So we have to find a different starting point to probably inculcate the same values. I don't think those values change, but the cultural ethos certainly has changed drastically. Yeah, I think, Bishop, one of the things that you mentioned earlier about the beloved community, that's that's where the for me, the the King was 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 putting that before the church. First, I mean, we we need to exemplify this community in which everyone has value, everyone belongs, everyone has dignity, everybody has freedom. We we need 
that that's our that's our soul force. I mean, that's you know, love is is our force. But on the other hand, I think to to the general society, I mean, I I see King really pushing this nation to 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 observe the principles that it's that it says form this country yeah. and that we live by. He was calling the nation yeah. to yeah. to fidelity with its own vision of of who that nation was. So I, I see that in two ways. I mean the 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 love and the Christian witness comes out of the church, which becomes the the prominent means of this resistance. But it's also a message to uh, to the culture that we are not living up to who we say we are and and how we say to our ideals. Dr. King, we're going to, I mean, Dr. Hall, we're going to, I'm going to call him Dr. King. We're going to run out of time, I know. But what, what you're saying, I want to say in a different way, and I think we should pick it up in the future. Dr. King spoke as the soul of America, the conscience. But he did so from the place of the church. The answer, I believe, um, Brother Jeff, is what we are doing right here, creating a dialogue for people to see how different people in different with different perspectives can come to love one another and respect one another as an example for where the world needs to go we don't have any other examples what who, who are our examples i mean what would be if the church can't produce this if we can't pull it off if we are going to be as strident as bitter as angry as the world then I don't know where our hope is. Hmm. You know, I, I had a I had a conversation the other day that really convicted me. Um, I was talking to a friend about racial equality and, you know, uh, about uh, justice and being a Christ follower and all those kind of things. And um, he personally would be very committed to those things. But he said something to me interesting. He said... He said, what are the most integrated parts of our society? And I said, I go, you tell me. He said, it's um, sports, the military, and the police and fire and like civil things. He goes, so what? what's the most segregated part of our society? And I said, the church. He goes, so why is the most segregated part of our society telling the most integrated part of our society how they should do it better? And I was like, oh, I hate it. I, I like hate the fact that he's right about that. Right. I, I hate the fact that and, and what he was saying, he he he's a strong Christ follower, all the rest. He wasn't trying to be a jerk. What he was saying was what you just said, Bishop. He's like, if you guys can't do it, why right. do you think why do you think that we should be able to do it? We're actually doing it better than you're doing it. And next, I, next time, let's talk about that, because I don't think they are doing it better. I think okay. they're doing it worse, but I so, think so. I think that they are for the for the sake of money, for the sake of um, success, for the sake we are willing to hide what we really feel, rather than in the church where we don't have those kind of motives. The motives have to be more pure. Yeah, I, I think I think he would say like. Uh, 
when you get into bring it out of like pro sports, you get into high school, college kind of thing, that there's real friendships there, police officers who really would lay their life down for their partner, fire, et cetera. And, um, and like a lot of the, uh, I know you, I love you. I invest my life in you. And it's that, you know, um, 75% of white people don't have a relationship with a person of color. He's like, well, that's not true. I work that way. That's my partner. Those are my friends that I hang out with, et cetera. And I just, I just found it um, convicting yeah. that I'm like, we, we need to do a better job, you know? And, and he, he was kind of looking and saying, careful, you have the word of God, which he adhered to very strongly, but he's like, in your practice and in your example, you don't actually have a moral high ground on it uh, be, because there's not nearly enough of, of what we're trying to do here happening. And he's, he's there's some truth in it. Brother Kemp's going to cut us off. So I got to tell I you, one, I got to tell one story, Brother Kemp. Well, Can you, well, you allow me to do that? I, I would. Absolutely. I know you're the moderator. You I know you're the, you're, you're, you're the moderator. Um, I spoke back in 2016, I think it was. Where then it was um, the the then um, I think I can't remember what his um, role was for the state, uh, but uh, anyway, I, I spoke. He, we had a, a gathering of police, six hundred police, and I happened to be doing the civil rights uh, thing and looking at all that stuff. And they wanted me to. He asked me to speak to the six hundred police officers, and I'm going to say it was the worst environment I've ever been in in my life. Hmm. Nobody would respond. Nobody would laugh. Nobody would do anything. And I was like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? But afterwards, one by one, the police came up to me and said, that was incredible. That was good. And I asked them, so why didn't you respond? And here's what came out. Because if I let them know what I believe, if I, if I let my fellow officers know what I believe, and I am in a life or death situation, I could be putting my life on the line by adhering to certain principles. So we don't, I don't let them know. I just act neutral for a lot of it. So I'm saying that's just one example. There are probably many where it, it seems like it, if everything is okay and they're working it out, but it may not, that may be on the surface. It may not be underneath. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure there's, I think that stuff is real. And I'm sure there's examples of, of deep friendships and deep loyalty too. Absolutely. I, I think what, what struck me is that if that's the case within the church, Right. And, and this is a brother or sister in Christ. There's a unity in Christ. And, and um, I, it would, it saddens me that what, what I would feel or think on the outside or present on the outside is not what's actually driving me on the inside. And for Christ followers uh, to not wrestle through rectifying those two positions uh, is deep. And my friend I was talking to is definitely a Christ follower. And that's, I think that's what he was trying to say is he's like, I work every day um, with people that I love and will give my life to. You don't, you know, I, we're, we, we wrestle with this, even if there's tension in it, 
we're wrestling with it. We're living this. The church doesn't do that. The black church goes to the black church. The white church goes to the white church, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, it, it's for me, I think, Bishop, what you said is just convicting. Like if, if we won't work on it and we won't prioritize it, um, who will? And, and I think, I think that as the, I wonder, I don't know if you can have a declining church and an inclining culture. And so I'm like, is is the weakness of the church uh, culturally apathetic? All 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 the above is the weakness of the church directly tied to the weakness of the culture. Um, and if Dr. King was alive today and kind of making his run, so to say, right now, is there an underlying authority or even an underlining? Like, like I don't I don't know that our culture agrees with the constitutional ideas that we were built on anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so it's so like when you talk about and, and I know we're out of time, so maybe this has to be next time, Kemp, but like Bishop, when you talk about we have to come at a new starting point, I'm like figuring that out would be a phenomenal conversation. Like what well, what is that starting point? Where do you begin it? Yeah, I think that's what we need to do. And I think there's another element that Kemp's going to write down for us for next time. <laughs> and that is often when we have this discussion because of the way that we frame it, we don't talk about the demonic element that we are mm -hmm. dealing with. So, yes, the church has a lot of issues, but, the, but, but we have a demonic resistance to the church moving forward that the world doesn't have. Mm. Yeah. So. The devil's not trying to stop the world or, or some, some, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, you know, we were at the bar last night and man, we had a great time. And, and we, I said, well, of course, then I come to church. I can't get along with it. I said, I don't think the devil is trying to stop you at the bar, mm. but he is in church. Yeah. So man, again, this is great. <laughs> I am your um, bookend moderator. I get the first <laughs> word and the last one. And that's it. <laughs> Everything in between, all the good cream in the middle, the meat in the middle is coming from Dr. Hawk, Pastor Jeff and Bishop Johnson. Thank you all so much for your time today, for your wisdom, your sageness, all things um, that happen. And I want to get back to something that was said at the very beginning was about the beloved community. And it's described like this, a caring and compassionate drive politically to draw political policies that support a worldwide elimination of poverty and hunger and all forms of bigotry and violence. Hmm. That is the beloved community. And a short, just brief description, we'll venture back into the beloved community and other topics that we'll mention today on the next episode of The Intersection. Thank you so much for being with us. You can follow us on all the social different social media platforms, um, and we encourage you to do so. And if you have any questions for us, please, please reach out at us at the intersection at loveakron.org. That's the intersection at loveakron.org. Thank you all again for your time, for your wisdom. And we say we'll see you next time and we'll meet you at the intersection. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of The Intersection, where we look at how everything intersects and brings us all back to Jesus. You can subscribe and follow us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. 
and we'll see you next time at the intersection.